Hey everybody, hope you're doing well, staying safe, staying sane, staying in shape. This is the San Diego Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu Academy podcast, both by and for members of the gym, where we will be highlighting some of our members and their stories to give you a little insight into the people at the dojo and how Jiu-Jitsu has impacted their lives. If you like this podcast, please consider sharing it with a friend, especially one who doesn't train already. We always talk about the power Jiu-Jitsu has and how much it adds to all of our lives and by sharing this, you're supporting the gym, and you may be helping your friend make a decision that has a substantial impact on their life as well. Uh, you can also support the gym by purchasing any of our shirts, jackets, rash guards, and geese. goes a really long way, uh, especially after this period of shutdown we've just been through. So, That being said, my guest today is Adon Martinez. Adon is a blue belt at the gym who started training around the same time that I did. He is an officer of the law, a devoted father and husband, and an overall great guy. He's always smiles when I see him. Uh, we talked about how he got started at jiu-jitsu, how he got started as a police officer, and as a heads up, there is some graphic content in this episode when Adon starts to talk about one of his most memorable calls on the job. Um, he touches on drug use and violence briefly during the episode, but I'll warn you again in the middle of the podcast once the more graphic part is coming up, and you may consider turning it off at that point if you're listening to this with your children. So, with all that in mind, please welcome Don Martinez. Don is connecting to audio. A Don connected to audio. Mic check one two one two. Hey, how's it going? Can you hear me? Good. Good. You sound a little muffled. Hello. I wonder if it's uh, just a mic option or the room. It just uh, it just cleared up. It was probably just it was just connecting to the audio. Okay. How's it going, brother man? It's good. It's good. Got a day off, so that's nice. Oh yeah, that's rare for you, huh? Uh, these days it is. I bet. I was talking to uh, to Marcos. You know Marcos Levian at the gym. He's uh he's another officer of the law. I'm not sure who he who he works for, but he told us that he worked 14 12-hour days straight, one day off, comes to the gym, and then has to go back to work the next day. That's what happened to uh, just about all of us. We were all put on mandatory 12-hour shifts, just working nonstop. Um, I went from my work week into being called in and starting 12 hours. Uh, I normally work during the daytime, uh, and then when we got called in, it was all adjusted to nine-hour shifts, so working graveyards or our swing shift, which is kind of like into the middle of the night. Uh, Why is that? Why did it suddenly change? Uh, Everything that was going on in La Mesa and the county. Right. Got it. Makes sense. Yeah, like the the protests and whatnot. Cool. So are you still doing like the same thing? Because I know that last time we spoke about it, you like had gotten a promotion. You were on the bike. You were investigating homicides and all sorts of crazy stuff. I'm in our traffic division. So what we do is we ride motorcycles around, write a lot of tickets and do any and all accident investigations. So it's a very busy unit, probably our busiest one for call up because I am all with this unit. So if somebody gets seriously hurt in an accident or passes away, then we, I mean, it's been busy. Uh, it will probably forever be busy because people don't focus when they drive. They're doing a million other things. So. Yeah, definitely guilty of that. But uh, ever since I got my Civic, 
because you know I was driving the Armada for a long time, right? Ever since I got my Civic, there's this gauge in there that says like how many miles per gallon you get. And I'm always trying to keep it like above 35, like whenever I can hit it all the way to max to 70. So I'm driving and Chris gets so mad at me because she's like, how come you drive my car like you stole it, but you drive your car like a grandpa, you know? <laughs> and I'm like, I'm trying to make this thing last 10 years. And every time I see my average mile per gallon tick up, I'm like sitting there, it's like 35, 35. 35.1 and I have like a mini freak out yeah 35.1 <laughs> that's awesome yeah I love it man dude look what I dug up this picture hangs on my wall I hope you're going to be able to see it that is a classic this is, a classic. Great picture. This is from our in-house tournament the only in-house tournament that I think we've had maybe one other since uh since I started there um, but this is a really good day. I, I couldn't help but admire that knot in your belt. <laughs> it's pretty good, right? White belt days, baby. <laughs> you know what, though? That still happens to my belt after every roll. But I just, eh. what, what can be expected? Yeah. yeah. I get it. That's crazy. <laughs> I can't even hate. Mine's all, mine's all twisted and silly looking anyway. It looks like I had three stripes on my white belt. So that had to be right before I got my blue. So um figure that was about two two and a half years ago crazy we're the only ones we're the only ones that still train at the gym from that picture from the five of us matt i haven't heard from him in a while he was always really busy magnus moved back to norway and this dude standing next to me i only ever met him that day i don't do you know who that is no <laughs> okay cool all right no worries i'm the worst yeah. with names uh so i'd i'd be the last person to ask I hear you. Well, that was a good day, man. Were you there? Did you see what happened to Magnus's finger? Like, took a hard yeah. 90. I was yeah, like, whoa. His ring finger was running a post pattern. It was it was a little uh, nerve-wracking, for sure. Luckily, we had, we had Tom's mom there, and she was a nurse. I just remember watching it happen right there. Sparring, everything seems totally normal. They go to the ground, and then Magnus looks away, and he puts his hand up, and the whole crowd goes, oh! <laughs> his finger was... Running a seven route or an eight route, dude. <laughs> it was terrible. I was like, man, a little competition just brings up the animal and everybody. Yeah. Hey, but it's just a finger. You can even see it in the picture. He's holding it like this. <laughs> a little subtle. Never forget to all of us. <laughs> yes, exactly. You know, when you're a little kid and you want to give somebody the finger, but you can't give them the real finger, so you give them the ring finger instead. Yeah, right, this, this is better. This is better. So... You got two stripes on your belt during that time. It was about two years ago. I mean, you've been at the gym as long as I remember. When when did you get started? Two years ago, I want to say now, that I started. Like 2018, somewhere around there. Do you remember when in 2018? The beginning of the year. It was a Christmas present for my wife. Because uh, I'd been talking about, like, hey, you know, thinking about signing up for a gym and training and just learning more stuff. And she's like, we're going to have a baby. You think we got time for all this nonsense for you to be out there doing stuff? Well, I could train at five in the morning or at seven <laughs> at night. And it's like, look at all these opportunities. And she's like, ah, whatever. And I was like, okay, I guess I won't do that. I'll go find something else. Um, and then Christmas day, I unwrap a gi. And then she's like, here, I paid for your first, the first month's membership. 
I was like, oh, that's why you're a keeper, sweetie. Yeah. Uh, cool, man. That's awesome. Yeah. And uh, and I, you know, you know it all the time. Whenever we roll, I I spare no expense because this is this is a really important skill for you to have. You know, you've told me like you've had to engage in the streets, and thank God you you train with us at the gym because rather than having to hurt somebody, you know, jamming them into like a, a like a traffic meter or against a car or hitting them in the face, you can just put somebody in a Kimura trap and disable them. You know. No harm done. They can still walk away on their own accord with no injuries. A very important skill, but I think the biggest is just that mental comfort of being like, I've been here. It's like I, I I'm gonna win this. This you're 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 not gonna win. You don't train. You don't take care of your body. You don't eat right. Like all the savages that are in this gym every day when I go, it's like you're a you're a mope. You're just here trying to survive in your crookery world. Yeah, I hear you. I, and, you know, that's something that, like, I understand to a certain extent, but I've never been in a real fist fight in my life except for in the third grade. And so, like, I'm like, yeah, you know, I'm purple belt. I handle a lot of people at the gym. Like, if it were really come down to average Joe in the streets, I could probably hang with them, but I don't know for sure, you know. But just – um. There is some, I, I always make the joke, I sleep easy at night. Number one, because I'm exhausted from training. And then number two, because it's like, I know that, you know, if the average Joe were to break into my house, I'd be all right. I like the biggest comforts, right? You, you go in there and you're not training against average Joes. I mean, everybody that's in there, even the first day white belt, there's something different about them that they decided, hey, I'm going to go sign up to have someone try and strangle me. It's like, all right, you're not normal. Yes. Yeah, definitely. I love it, man. It's so crazy that I just stumbled in there a couple of years ago and, and didn't realize that I was going to be set off on this path that has had so much impact on my life. You know, it's introduced me to so many great people. I got to say, you know, going into training at the gym, I was not a fan of police. I'll put it that way. And, uh, and you are definitely one of the people that has really changed my opinion of that, dude. You are a family man. You're a good guy. You told me that you wanted to be a police officer since you were a kid, right? My family came from Mexico. So my mom and dad are illegal immigrants here. They don't have legal citizenship status. Um, and my cousins and I are first generation born here. And then some of them that immigrated and then became citizens because they were children that were able to find a different path to citizenship. Uh, so I grew up very poor and typical like ghetto. And I grew up in Escondido and it was funny because when I finally started to find my path into law enforcement, there's this program, it's called the Explore program. And so it's like an internship for 16 to the age of 21 where you can firsthand see what law enforcement is all about, go on ride-alongs, work events, do DUI checkpoints, do all sorts of different things. And so I'm like, I'm going into this. And so I fill out an app, I go, I get an interview. And the first question they asked me, they're like, uh, is this your address? And I was like, yeah. They're like, what are you doing here? You like, you like a mole or something? Like, this is like the hood. Like, like you're trying to, and I'm like, yeah, this, this is what I want to do. And they're like, Oh, okay. Totally different because cops were constantly in our neighborhood. I mean, it's like the East alley of the neighborhood I live where my window looked over. I mean, it was gang 
boxers hanging out all the time, drinking, doing dumb stuff, getting in fights, getting stabbed, all sorts of nonsense. And, you know, living in this neighborhood, I'm like, oh, man, this is kind of shitty. But who would always come and make it better? The cops. And even though my parents didn't have driver's license because at that time they couldn't get one, it was like, they didn't really bother my family. It's like, it was like, oh, well, that, well, that's interesting. That's cool. What, what's that about? And it's like, well, well, they're not causing problems. It's like, they're not the ones obviously here causing problems and they're here dealing with the problem. Uh, and so it was kind of cool. And I, one, one of the things my mom said when I was growing up, cause she'd work during the day cleaning offices and then again at night cleaning offices. So, I'd only see her for a little bit of time in between. And she'd tell me about like, oh, I, you know, because she'd get off like at one, two in the morning. And she'd say, oh, I was able to stop at 7-Eleven uh, last night. And I was like, oh, cool. Would you? And she's like, well, I, you know, I felt comfortable going because there was a police car there. And I saw an officer there. So I felt comfortable to stop. And I'm like, here's my mom who's unlicensed, illegal in this country and she feels she sees this complete stranger that does this profession and says ah i feel at ease to go into this 7-eleven to get some snacks and get a little something to drink before i go home i'm like that's pretty cool i was like to me that was, that was a big deal it's like that you can make a complete stranger even someone with you know some you know misguidance on the laws because of their situation feel comfortable and safe i was like that's pretty rad. I was like, I want to do that. I want to do that, especially for like the community I grew up in, because so much of it is Spanish speaking and very similar to my situation where they're coming from another country, not having a true understanding of everything going on in this country and all the laws. And to be able to kind of bridge that gap of, Hey, knowing the language here, knowing their language, knowing their culture, and understanding both sides and being like, hey, okay, let me let me give you some guidance of what's going to happen here. Maybe put some uh, take away some of your tensions or put you at ease in this situation, so you're not freaking out and thinking the worst. Like, I'm going to go to jail. I'm going to get deported. I'm you know something bad's going to happen to me. Where it's like, oh, it's not going to be that extreme. You might have a court date in the future and some fines to pay, but it's not going to be that extreme that you're thinking. That I know you're thinking because my family thinks. So. Dang, dude. That's crazy, bro. It, it's just a, a great job. And, you know, it's funny because when I started the Explorer program, first day, they, they put out, hey, you're going to 1144. Like, we just left briefing. I'm in this patrol car. Like, this young kid, like, oh, my gosh, what am I doing here? Like, this is kind of cool, kind of scary. First call, they're like, hey, you being right to 1144. And I'm like, oh, we got all these radio codes. And I'm like, I don't know why put out my little cheater sheet and I'm like reading 1144 cor- corners case. I'm like, what the hell is that? I'm like, am I going to see a dead body? And Y'all want to like, see a oh, dead body? <laughs> and he's like, oh yeah, you're going to see it. You're going to be around it. You're going to touch it. And I'm like, oh, I'm like, I don't know if I'm ready for that. Oh, and man. sure enough, we walk into the situation where this 26 year old female had passed away from this disease she had and all her family's there and they're all just distraught and in truth just the worst and saddest situation I'd walk into at that point in my life and I'm just like, oh, like nobody murdered her like why why are we here why do I have to see this 
And he's like, hey, anytime somebody dies in the city, we're going to make sure it's not a murder. And there's all this paperwork, procedures, and guidance we give to the family through that. And then watching him work through this terrible situation, providing support to the family and being there at their worst moment to guide them and give them that support. It was like, I fell in love with it. I was like, yeah, this is what I want to do. This is, this is what this job's all about. It's being there for people at their worst moment and helping them through it. So that's the right mentality. Since that day I was hooked, I was like, it's what I want to do. This is where this is where I'm going in life. So you're just you're you're a helping person. This reminds me of a story that I just came to mind. So I'm most of my you know encounters with police have have not been friendly. I've been speeding or turned right on red when I wasn't supposed to. And I'm not one of those people who's lucky enough to have ever not gotten a ticket when getting pulled over, which is fair. I get it. But here's, here's a, a pretty funny experience that I had aside from that. I was driving to work one day and I'm driving through Escondido and the Armada runs out of gas. And I'm in the middle of the street. I, I hop out of my car while it's still kind of rolling and I get behind it and I start pushing, right? I just got to make it to this next turn, like into this neighborhood and then I'll hop back in the car and I'll turn right and I'm pushing and I'm pushing and I'm pushing. And then I feel somebody else run up right next to me and start pushing the car with me. And it was, it was an officer. I know I'm not supposed to say cop because I don't, I don't know. Some of them are police officers. Some of them are sheriffs. Some of them are cops. I don't know. But and a, a man in uniform, a law enforcement officer started pushing the car with me. It's all the Yeah. And, and so I, he started pushing the car with me. And we were able to, uh, to, you know, make the turn into the neighborhood. It wasn't that far. It was like not even a quarter of a mile away. And he was like, what happened? I was like, oh, I ran out of gas. He's like, oh, hop in the back. You got a gas can? I'll take you to go get, get gas. And the nearest gas station was like a mile and a half away, dude. And so he puts me in the back of the car. And I was like, oh, this isn't very comfortable. He's like, yeah, it's not supposed to be comfortable. <laughs> and I like took a Snapchat video in the back of my car. And I'm like, First time riding in the back of a police car. Woo! <laughs> but he took me to go get gas, and then I, I put some gas in the Armada, and uh, and that was that, man. It was uh, it was a funny experience, dude. And it's so crazy to see. Like I asked him how old he was, and he was either my age or maybe even a year or two younger. It's like it's it's so nuts to meet people in those parallel situations. You know what I mean? Uh, it was fun. I mean, because when I started, I was 21 years old. I was like as young as you can be. That was me being a police officer. And I remember transitioning into that role and just be like overwhelmed by like, this is a huge responsibility. Like there's a lot going on here. And it's just like, it's a big deal. Like what you're doing, like every, everything you're doing is a big deal to that other person. Oh yeah. Uh, so, I mean, cause just as simple as that, right. Helping you get a car out of the road and, helping you get some gas versus being stranded. Let me call AAA. Let me wait here. Let me sit. Let me try and get a ride from somebody. And everyone's looking at you like, oh, I'm not picking that guy up. Stranger yep. danger, right? Especially when you look like me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so it, it's just been, it's been a fun journey. I mean, there's such extremes in that job from great contacts like that, where you're just helping somebody out with something that's pretty minor to the worst of the worst. Um, and it's it's cool man. It's, it's a lot of fun and i love what i do because of the people i work with and then because of the community i work for i mean it's no better off than looking for the community you grew up in so 
Yeah, for real. That's that's crazy. Like I knew that you wanted to do this for a long time, but I didn't realize that you were raising Escondido, you know, on the on the rough side of town, and then you made that transition and kind of like, yeah, that's that's nuts, dude. That was a really cool origin story. That gave me like a little bit more insight into who you are as a person. You know, I love seeing you every Friday or whenever it is that you can make it in. I always look forward to it because you're all smiles. We've not, never had anything but nice, you know, interactions. I feel like you're one of those guys that's like, what do you do for a living? Oh, I'm a police officer. Like, what? Really? Not quite what I expected. So thank you for that, man. We, we have a lot of different police officers from all sorts of different branches that train at the gym. You know, we got friggin' SWAT guys and County and San Marcos and CHP. And it's, it's been a real eye-opening experience because, you know, from, from your average citizen's perspective, my interaction, my very limited interaction with them was not a good indicator of the actual interpersonal interactions that I have with these people at the gym. You know, some of you guys are my best friends now. So it's, it's crazy how that's worked out. You know, that's, that's one thing that I've definitely gotten out of training at SDBJJ. I hate to admit it, but my, my perspective on the police has definitely changed. <laughs> that's a good thing. You should have hate that. <laughs> that's, <laughs> yeah. that's like one of the things we always try and push is like having different encounters with the public than what our normal is, right? Our norm is, you're getting pulled over, you're getting contacted as part of a radio call, you're getting arrested, one of these negatives. And like the D.A.R.E. program when I was a kid and now our Star Pal program, it's like the whole point is to have a different interaction with the youth where it's not in that negative situation. Where it's like, hey, it's the first time I'm ever going to see you, kid. I pulled over your parent and I'm going to give them a big take and it's going to be fine. So yeah, have a good day, kid. And they're just like, mom's all pissed or dad's all pissed and then the kid's like oh that's not good right they're, they're a bad person look at how my parents like all pissed off about it to uh, hey no we'll go to your school and we'll do all sorts of different things from teach self-defense to hey when you should call 911 what you should do in a fire and have a positive react interaction with them so that way they go like oh okay they're not like just a negative association with these people you know right yeah, that's so important. You know, you you hear about, oh, old school policing used to be members of the actual community. You know, people weren't commuting down. It was people that they knew and that they cared about. And you had many interactions within the community. And now it's kind of like, you know, an, an outsider in a sense. But um, but again, being a part of, of the gym to beat the dead horse has really kind of changed that for me. So... I, I've, I've, and I've seen a shift in attitude, I would say, God, I'm getting so old over the last 10 years. <laughs> um, that's so crazy to say where it's kind of like, yeah, you know, the heat has been on police in a lot of different ways. Um, you know, with everything that has, that has happened and the interactions that I have been having have been a lot more humanizing. I'm not going to say pleasant necessarily, you know what I mean? <laughs> but but I mean, not, not negative. Like you said, you know, sometimes you're coming in, in the worst of circumstances, I'm out of gas and you were kind enough to, to pick me up and take me to the gas station when nobody else would, you know, but, um, but it's been, I, I, I've noticed there's been a lot more of an effort, at least in the interactions that I've had to be like, yeah, dude, I'm, I'm just a normal person, just like you, you know, that's important. Yeah, it, it is. I mean, it's, it's trying to move away from that robotic, like license registration insurance yes all those things there's a time and a place for those but a lot of the time there's a conversation that can be had 
uh, even as simple as, hey, how's your day going? What's going on? What do you do? Um, When I used to be on our bike team, like riding a bicycle around Escondido, I dealt with all sorts of people, rode into all sorts of just crazy situations that you wouldn't think like, I'm I'm riding up to you with a syringe in your arm and you're getting high right now. And you're like, there's like a park right there. Like, what are you, what are you doing? Like right here? Like, crazy. And even a contact like that to still be able to be like, all right, well, I'm going to do my business, but we can still have a conversation. I, I'd like to just get to know, like how somebody get here, how somebody get to this point. Uh, and it's funny because one of the guys who I used to deal with all the time with his drug addiction, I mean, recently I called my old partner who used to come to the gym, Russ Whitaker. He's like, hey, I just wanted to let you guys know I'm clean, I'm sober, I'm a counselor now in Florida. And I just wanted to say thank you to Officer Martinez and Monster Whitaker because uh, you guys were always respectful. You guys were always great to me and treated me with respect. And I was like, well, yeah, there's there's no reason not to. I mean, even I mean, you are breaking the line, you are doing some stuff that you shouldn't. It's like, I'm not going to treat you like you're some piece of garbage it's like i'm gonna do the job i have to do but i'm still gonna try and get to know who you are because it's very interesting to see you know like how someone get here yeah i and this is starting to get into my personal opinion but i i think of drug addicts as sick people more than criminals you know what i mean i i feel like people dealing with addiction they know what they're doing is wrong but they feel like they can't not you know and and that's a difficult trial to deal with on a daily basis that some people never get over, you know? And so just having a little bit of support because the lack of support in a lot of cases is what led them to those circumstances is, is monumental. So that's really cool. That guy reached out to you and, and said that. And so, yeah, it's nice because it's very, you know, rare that we have like that kind of contact after the fact, like usually we'll just deal with somebody and every day in and out and then they just disappear and you go hmm, i wonder what happened to them. like are they in prison do they do they die do they move are they better and you're like i don't know but you just continue on and you keep doing what you're doing and then every once in a while you get this like bright light of like hey i'm changed i'm better everything's great and you're like that's rad it's like so cool, cool awesome. good for you it's like being a teacher, right? And you're like, oh, these kids, it's ridiculous. I can't stand them. They all hate me. And then one of them comes back after and was like, you changed my life. And you're like, oh, that's why I do this, you know? <laughs> pretty much. Hey, everybody. Here is that graphic content warning I was explaining about at the beginning of the episode. Uh, again, if you are listening to this with your children, this might be a good time to turn off the episode. You got any um any crazy stories that come to mind offhand? It could be funny, it can be sad, it can be whatever you want. Just any any interactions you've had of, as a police officer aside from the ones that you've already shared with us? Um, well, I mean, I've been, yeah, no, no worries. Uh, I, I mean, that's most most often when I meet somebody, that's either the first or second question. The first one being like, "Do you shoot somebody?" I'm like, "Geez, like, what ask a personal question? Like, like have you ever <laughs> shot somebody and killed them?" You're like, "Oh God!" It's like, man, you come out of that. And it's like most of the time we never do. Um, but probably one of the craziest stories is it's funny because of how this call worked out for me and where it's where it's starting is I'm dealing with these kids were holding this sign that they had wrote, um, what was it, duck my suck. 
And people called it in because they're like, they got an obscene sign out there. It said, duck my stuff. And I'm like, but as I'm driving up, your mind puts things where you want, right? So you're like reading, you're like, oh, suck my, oh, you know what they meant. You kids. And I'm like, hey guys, there's nothing illegal with what you're doing. Someone called this one here. Just don't get, don't make anyone crash and they're going to fight. And they're, and I'm, I'm chuckling because I'm like, kids being kids, right? Kids, kids find different ways to entertain themselves. It's just like, whatever. All right. And I'm, I'm just having this laughing conversation with these youth. Uh, and as I'm dealing with that, it's like maybe three o'clock in the afternoon and we get our tone. And so anytime we get a tone, it's like some sort of serious incident. It's like, Serious injury accident, it's a shooting, it's a stabbing, it's someone overdosing on drugs. So we get the tone and it's kind of like, hey, everybody key up, something important is coming out. So it's like, boop, you hear the tone and we're all like, pause. And then it's like, hey, we got a, a shooting call over in this area um, of our city, very close to where I grew up. And I'm like, I'm close. I'm like, cool. I just start going. And that's like a light sirens response, driving up. They're giving details about this female that got shot in the stomach. Uh, she's pregnant. And I'm just oh. like, yeah, I'm just like thinking like, all right. I mean, this is like, this is why you get paid the big bucks to run into these terrible situations. So we get there first unit on scene and I'm running into the apartment and I, it's upstairs apartment. So as I go up, I'm like, I look in and it's empty. It's clean. There's nothing in there. It's just an empty, clean apartment, which is rare. It's like, I don't, I don't come to nice, clean, empty apartments. It's like, we go where people are living. And it's like, nobody's living here. And I hear screaming from inside. So I run inside and I see sister trying to help her, her sister, who's now on the ground, big old belly, and one bullet hole right down the middle. Jeez. And it's just like, start first aid clear for medics, get them in, trying to get some information like, hey, we got to broadcast, like, where did this guy go? What happened? What's the situation here? It's self-inflicted. Um, and, you know, so I stay with the victim, other units show up, start taking over different parts of it. And they say, hey, go up to the hospital uh, with her. Uh, so I'm like, okay. So I'm riding in the ambulance with her. I'm in the surgery room with her. Big thing is if she gives a dying declaration, right? Like if she says, hey, Johnny from here did it. It's like, and she passes away. That's like as true as any statement can be uh, in the court file. So that's what I'm there for. And then also to give updates, like, hey, if she passes away, if she doesn't, what's going on? And so I'm watching these doctors, you know, trying to do everything they can to save her. And I'm saying, and you, you had that moment where it was like them seeing it saving private land where like, Oh, we almost got it. We almost got it. We almost got it. And then it's like, Nope, we didn't. And you feel everybody in this room, all these nurses that are there, all the staff, the doctor, everyone just, just a huge down, right? You're just like, Oh, just like a punch to the gut. And everyone's just like, Get that chill going, and you just hear the doctor call it. Time is whatever. And he's pronouncing her death. Like, hey, this is time. I got an update. Like, hey, let let everybody else know. Like, hey, this is a homicide. She's passed away. We need to start working that. 
And there's no radio reception in that surgery room. It's just it's so far into the center of the hospital. So I'm like, all right, so I got to step out to try and try and do this to update my supervision about it. And as I step out, the first person I walk into is her dad. And I'm just like, oh, like, uh, there's nowhere to go. Like, I don't want to have this conversation, but it's like, I'm here. And, it, and normally we don't do death notifications. Normally a coroner will do them because we'll call the coroner, they come out, they do their investigations, they notify the family. And he's looking right at me and he's looking for answers, right? He wants to know. And I'm standing there like, I don't, I don't know this conversation. I, at this point, I was like two years into the job, so I'm still very young. And I'm looking at his dad thinking like, I don't want to tell you the horrible thing I just saw, but it was like, but that's the right thing to do. I can't walk ask you, knowing what I know, and say, uh, you'll find out later, or, or she's okay. It's like, no, I can't. It's like, you know, I just tell him, man, I'm sorry. And, you know, we can him break down and try and be there to give him some sort of support. And for me, that's a memory I'll never forget because it started with such a benign, just almost jovial call to a complete extreme within like an hour's worth of time of just the worst emotional feeling. And it's just like, ugh. like when people ask like, oh, what's your creative? It's just like, it's that one. It's, it's because, because of the extremes in it and because of like having to tell this dad, hey, I'm sorry, you lost your child. The person that for you is always going to be your baby. And on top of that, you lost a grandchild with that. And it's like, ugh, like shitty. Like shit. Like every time you're involved in this, those calls where people lose family members, it's it's just hard. It's they're they're just tough situations to deal with emotionally because we, we all have that person in our family, you know, and you lose anybody in your family. It's just it's hard and and to lose them just so unexpectedly is, I think, the worst. And we always say you're, you're never supposed to bury your children, right? It's like there's this progression of life where it's like, hey, I'm going to get old, and I'm going to die, and my kids will bury me. And that's to be expected. But to bury your own children, that's like, oh, that's like, it's not supposed to be accepted. And so I think that just makes it so much harder and that made that moment so much more emotional. I'm just like, oh, like that moment in the surgery room was hard. And then having to talk to dad and tell him was a million times worse. And it was just like, oh, like all appetite gone, everything just like this sick to my stomach. You know, I'm like, oh, this is terrible. Like the craziest calls I've had, but I mean, I've been to several different shootings, had to plug a bunch of holes in people, you know, tourniquets, all that stuff, sucking chest wounds, you know. Uh, there's just a, a lot of extremes, and then there's a lot of benign contacts as well. Um, but I mean, that's why I got into it, is to be there for people in, at their worst moment when they need help. So. Right. Dang, dude, that's heavy. A lot going on there. And and it sounds like that's a pretty um, accurate characterization 
of the gig as a whole. Because like you said, it started off way up here, jovial call, some kids with a, with an obscene sign, all the way to, I got to tell this guy his daughter was murdered. That's, uh, yeah. that's nuts, dude. I'm speechless. That's crazy. Yeah, and that's what's hard, right? Because as soon as I'm done with that call, I write right back in the service, hey, what's next? Yeah. Someone, someone's illegally parked. Okay. You're like, <laughs> why does that matter right now? You're like in your head, you go like, why are you calling? Like, do you not understand what just happened? Like what we just went through? You're calling about this parked car? Like, gosh. But it's like everyone's own little world, right? Everyone's in their own world. And a lot of this stuff that happens in the cities never makes the news. Right. And so, so it's just funny. I mean, it's just a funny job to go from those crazy extremes where you'll be in a high speed pursuit. And the next moment you're like talking to some person about landlord tenant issues or my neighbor wants to put this fence up and I don't want them to put a fence. And I'm like, who cares? I don't care why you call me <laughs> about your fence argument. <laughs> Stupid. That's uh, hilarious, dude. That's the job. Yeah. Yeah. That'll really put things into perspective. What are some of your hobbies outside of jujitsu? I know that you're a father, a devoted husband. Do you have time for anything aside from work, jits, and family? Um, not really. I mean, I try and get my workouts in when I can't make it to the gym, get some running in, get some weightlifting in. Um, but with the, the kids, I mean, that's like, I, I try and put my energy into them and my, and my wife because it's like, I'm gone so much for work and then trying to find my own little time to be like, I'm going to go work out or I'm going to go to the gym and that takes time away from them. So when I, when I do have free time, it's, it's about being with them. And so one of my big hobbies was mountain biking and road cycling. And with the baby, it's like kind of hard to do both of those. And luckily my, my baby's gotten a little bit bigger, able to get a trailer now to tow him along. So now that's become like a family activity. Like, Hey, let's, nice. let's all go on a bike ride together. And so trying to incorporate things I'd like to do with the people I love. So that way it's like, I'm not, taking more time away from them it's like no let's all do it together i still get to do the stuff i like so mountain biking fishing uh, riding my dirt bike around uh, i have a compound bow i like to shoot so uh, like that. just about every interaction we have i can tell that your family comes first because i'm like oh hey we're gonna roll at this time you're gonna be there and it's like I guess, I, I think your last message to me was, I guess smooches are going to have to wait. Sorry, babe. <laughs> or like, I remember one time we were rolling, you had your ring on your finger. I'm like, are you going to take that off, bro? And you're like, nope, she's worth it. You know? <laughs> so respect. Yeah. Respect. How old is your baby now? Hey, he's going to be two in July. So he'll be two in July. My stepson will be nine in October. Uh, and yeah, they're, they're the world to me. They're like the most important thing to me. And, you know, people always say, Hey, you got to make change in the world. And for me, the only change I can do is to make sure I raise two good boys. That's, that's my main mission. It's like, that's objective. Number one is that they become two good men. Um, and then, then my wife's happy. Beautiful. That's it, man. I'm ending on that note. That's fantastic. Thank you like for coming it. on and having this conversation with me, man. That was awesome. It was a pleasure. Hopefully I'll see you on the mat here soon. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> Hopefully soon. You got anything else that you want to add before we go? Or are you good? Uh, I'm, I'm pretty good. It's, you know, anyone who's thinking about joining Jitsu, just, just jump in and test the waters out. It's fun. Everyone's, everyone's a good person. In there. <laughs> awesome. Never a bad idea, right? You're the man. Hopefully I'll see you soon, man. Take care. You too, brother. See ya. And there you have it. Thanks for listening. Be sure to subscribe so you'll be alerted when new episodes are released. And check out SDBJJ on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, and at SDBJJ.com. Take care.